0: They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.
1: Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Reflecting on this, I decided to follow her advice, and I noticed profound changes in my own dogs. Enhanced energy, healthier skin, and an overall younger demeanor. It's truly heartwarming to see them so vibrant and full of life. Go to BadlandsFood.com and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B A D L A N D S F O O D dot com slash hometown. Before we explore Crater Lake National Park, I'd like to share a few pieces of general advice. I hope this series has inspired you to see more of our national parks. So I asked Jim and Will for More Than Just Parks to offer a few tips for those of us who are just getting started.
0: I would say step one when you fall in love with kind of the national parks and that grand nature is like visiting a national park and then you want to see as many as you can. Then I would say step two is you realize that these places are getting fairly crowded especially in the times where everybody has vacation and so you say okay i want this same experience but i don't want the crowds which is then you go to start seeing national forests and national monuments and i would encourage folks listening to your podcast to explore these places next time you're thinking about going to glacier national park google flathead national forest or if you're thinking about going to a Utah park, Utah has five stunning national forests that, that have the same exact scenery that you'll find in the parks without the crowds. And this is the case for most national parks, Yellowstone and Grand Teton. You have the Bridger Teton National Forest. With Yosemite, you've got maybe four, at least four national forests that are located within the Sierras there giant sequoia national monument next to sequoia national park so once you get kind of i would say the national park willies out of your system the next step is really experiencing these places without the crowds and that's dispersion which is important in a day of overcrowding
2: because the there are a few national parks now particularly i would say a, a select few that park goers know about and those are obviously yellowstone yosemite and then rocky mountain and zion those parks are just they're absolutely bursting at the seams they're so overcrowded and i'm i have to say it i could not dissuade people more to just not to go to zion like don't do it in the summer or there alone. are two
0: other there are two other parts of Zion that nobody ever visits, known as Kolob yep. Terrace and Kolob Canyon, which are stunning, and there's no one there. Yep. And so, if you go to Zion, definitely check those. Because I out. just,
2: I'd hate for people's first experience to a national park or first foray into that to be at a place where it's basically Disney World. You want the nature and you want some of the solitude and things like that, that really will give you that sense of awe. And you're not going to, you're going to get a different sense of awe (laughs) if you go to some of these overcrowded parks. So, so that's something, yeah, definitely to be aware of if you're looking to make a foray into, into that.
1: When we visited Crater Lake, it was magical, but it was definitely not Disney World. The snow was more than 10 feet deep. And in a lot of places, the park was fairly empty. We were able to pull right up to the rim of the crater without reservations, which felt a bit surreal after the traffic jams in Yosemite, which leads me to another thing that we learned on this trip. Seasons matter. Each season has something amazing to offer in these parks, but if you want to avoid the crowds, you'll usually have to plan for that or find lesser-known paths to explore.
2: Even in some of these popular parks, if you just... if You get out on a trail and get out, just get a mile away from the main road and and the crowds start to really disappear. And Um, time
0: of year is crucial. Visit in the fall, visit in the spring, but avoid in the summer, choose your parks carefully and choose the lesser visited ones or the national forests. Because if you go in September or October, the crowds are minimal, even at a lot of the most popular national parks, you can waltz into Rocky Mountain and even Zion. But go at the wrong time of year, and you will literally. I remember one time I went to Yosemite National Park on a Labor Day or Memorial Day or some yeah. holiday, and literally I was in the car for three hours just trying to get in. It was one of the dumber things M- that done
2: Memorial but. Day stay in your backyard on Memorial Day. <laughs> I cannot stress enough Memorial Day if there is one time of the year not to visit a national park, it is Memorial Day. Yeah, it is. It's, It's suicide. You don't want to do that. (laughs) It's like herd mentality. It's like, it's Memorial Day, we've all got to get the tent in the car and go, and it's like, no, wait, everyone else is doing that.
1: Predicting which parks will be the busiest is trickier than you think. For example, Indiana Dunes National Park, a few hours north of us, has roughly the same number of annual visitors as Yosemite. So, simply heading to lesser known parks and expecting smaller crowds is not always the answer. Do your research ahead of time and make as few assumptions as possible. You might start by searching the National Park System Status Database. The detail of that database is staggering. You can see visitation numbers for every holding in the National Park System for about 20 different categories dating from 1929. To the present day. Now with all of that in mind, let's go to Jim Burnett for more insight on Crater Lake National Park. Unlike most of the national parks that we've covered, Crater Lake is really centered on a single attraction, the lake from which it gets its name.
3: Certainly the big attraction for Crater Lake is that lake with that amazingly clear blue water, but people that, that live in that part of the state, Recognize that it's also known for something else, at least locally, and that's the enormous amount of snow they get each winter. The annual average, I looked it up, is forty-one feet of snow per winter. That's forty-one feet, not forty-one inches. A lot of parts of the country, forty-one inches would be a big winter, but forty-one feet is a lot of snow to have to deal with in the course of the year. And so that that brings me to my favorite top tip: if you're going to be planting a visit any park, and that's to be sure you have good, up-to-date information, especially in a place like Crater Lake that has such unusual weather. And I say that because during my 30 years as a ranger, it was sad to sometimes meet visitors who had made a long trip to a park, only to find out something they really wanted to do wasn't possible to do because either a road or a trail or some other feature wasn't open yet for the summer because it's still buried under several feet of snow. So you tell them that in June and they're thinking, how can that be possible? It's been 90 degrees at home now for two months. How can we be here in June if you can't get to someplace because of snow? But that does happen. And I'm sure rangers have that conversation probably pretty frequently there at Crater Lake. So it's a good idea just to check the park website before you go to any park and just check on the status of what's open, what's closed On on the website. On the first page, you'll see a section called alerts and on the alerts for crater lake even now in june there's information that uh, part of the popular scenic drive that goes all the way around the lake is not yet open because they're still getting plowed out from the winter time so that that's a good place to look for information before you go so that you don't get there and say gosh i was ready to count on making this trip and sorry i can't get there right now
1: one thing we found really helpful at crater lake was a free park newsletter called crater lake reflections I guess that's a clever name for
3: a lake with its famous reflection of the water. But you can download a copy of that just by Googling the term Park Newspaper Crater Lake. You'll find a link for that. And if you go to that, it, I feel like it's a good idea to go ahead and just download and save a digital copy of that onto your phone or your laptop or a tablet, whatever you're using. And the reason I say that is that a lot of places there in the park that you Will not be able to get a cell signal or internet signal to call that up in real time while you're there. So just download it and save it, and that way you've got it right on hand, and you don't have to worry about trying to come up with a paper copy when you get there. Yeah. The another plus of that uh, park information is that even if you can get a GPS signal or get an app on your phone, my experience with a lot of those apps is if you're doing something really specific, like driving a scenic drive, and you have a particular pullout that you want to find. A lot of times that level of detail is not shown on most of the phone apps or GPS type things. It may show a little blip in the road with there's a pullout, but you won't know which one of the of the almost three dozen pullouts are along that road. So another advantage of having the park map. There are in fact 30 overlooks so on 33 miles of road. So plenty of places to stop if you make that drive around the lake. One thing to keep in mind, although the park does not prohibit large rvs or people towing trailers or that sort of thing on the drive first you won't enjoy the drive very much if you try to take a big vehicle like that because most of the pullouts don't have enough space to park those kind of things it's a two-lane road it's windy it's got some steep places on it a lot of places there's some steep drop-offs along the side there is on the park website and on the newspaper there's information about several places where if you're towing a trailer for example you can they have parking areas you can drop that off and just take your vehicle if you have a big rv and you're towing a second smaller vehicle behind take the smaller vehicle on the drive and that'll be much more pleasant for you and the people who are stacked up behind you on the drive while you're trying to creep around a curve would be a lot happier too. if you're not tying the road up with your big rig one tip that i think will make it a lot safer if you make that drive If you're looking at a map, it's easier to visualize this, but basically the Rim Drive is a circle that goes around a circular lake. And if you drive that in a clockwise direction, say if you're starting at the Rim Village and you go toward what they call the North Junction, and then just continue around the lake on the East Rim Drive, that'll bring you back to Rim Village. Almost, if you do that, the majority of the pullouts and all the pullouts that will let you overlook the lake are going to be on the right-hand side of the road. So in the right-hand lane, just make a right turn, pull into the pullout, pull back out, you're back into the right-hand lane. So you don't have to make any left turns across traffic. It just makes it a lot safer, and you don't have to wait so long if it's busy to get into the spot you're headed. So just an idea you might consider, you can take it in the clockwise direction. That'll probably make it a lot more convenient and safer for you. Now, one thing that people sometimes will say, well, that's great. I can drive around the lake. and see the water but i want to get down to the water i want to dip my toe in it touch it and see what it feels like that sort of thing and that's a certainly interesting thing to do a one important thing for people to know is there's only one safe and legal way that you can get from the rim down to the water in fact it's not only very dangerous but it's illegal just to scramble down and a couple of good reasons for that is some places more than a thousand feet down a very steep slope and volcanic cinder uh, is not a good not a good place to try to walk on person you're sliding and scrambling and so you need to take the one trail they have created for that purpose it's called the cleat cove trail that's also the only way to get down to the lake if you want to take some of the boat tours they offer on the lake during the summertime and it's just like the rim drive it gets a lot of snow and they have to get the trail shovel it off and wait for the snow to melt off. So it's open about the same season from about mid July until late October Or the only weeks during the year you can get down to the lake shore and on time you can make the drive all the way around the park. Somebody said, well, okay, great. We've got a trail that just, uh, we'll just grab our uh, tennis shoes and hop on down there. No problem. You, that's another good example of why you really need to get some good information. And there's a lot of details on the park website, but just to sum it up. The trail is described as steep and strenuous over a distance of 1.1 miles. It drops 700 feet in elevation part points out that when you climb back up, that's the equivalent of climbing 65 flights of stairs and you're at an elevation of almost 7,000 feet. And so if you're not in good shape, it's not going to be a fun trip. And the footing is not really good. It's again, this is a extinct volcano. And so the surface is crushed pumice, which is volcanic rock. And it's really, it's very much like sand, dry sand. And so it's loose and slippery and dusty. And so they point out, this is not a trail for flip-flops. Be sure you have some good sturdy shoes or boots and know what you're getting into. Just make an honest size up of what your physical condition is before you decide to make the hike, the park staff. Reminds folks that the majority of their search and rescue operations in that park come because people get down to the lake and they can't make it back to the top. And so you don't want to find yourself in some news report about the latest rescue at the Crater Lake and you tackle something that you couldn't do. One other thing that would be really helpful if going down to the lake shore or taking the boat tour is the big thing for your trip. If that's the main reason you're going to Crater Lake is, man, I want to I'll plan it just right. I'll be there. And first of August and the boat tours are running if you're going over the next two or three years you need to again check ahead of time and see the status of things that trail that goes down to the boat dock and the lake was completed in 1962 and it's had a lot of wear and tear from a lot of hiking boots and mainly from mother nature just from all the weight of all that snow and erosion and runoff and it's frankly it is really in bad shape and the the area around the dock with the bulkheads and stuff were damaged a couple of years ago in a storm. And so the park has been trying to get money to rehab all that area. And they finally believe they have the funds to do that. And they think it's going to begin in the summer of 2024. So a couple of years away from now. But if you're going in a few years, that project will probably take two years because it's a very short construction season there due to the weather. And so they anticipate It'll take two years. And when the work is underway, they'll have to just close the trail. There's no other alternative. There's so little room to work there anyway. And there's no other way to get to the boat dock. And so, if you're going and you really want to take that boat trip, maybe in about 2024, 2025, check that website. Look under those alerts on the homepage, and it'll tell you whether or not that trail is open. But again, it'd be a shame to get there and be all set to do that and find out that that's not a possibility.
1: One of the best parts of exploring these parks is encountering all of the little quirky eccentricities that you don't really hear about until you get there. One of the more memorable ones we encountered was here at Crater Lake. It's in the middle of Crater Lake, and it's one of the things you'd never expect to find there. A tree.
3: A tree, and this is a very unusual tree, and uh, this is a, a kind of a fun story, and if you hear about this, if you go to the park, you'll probably think somebody is probably trying to spin you a local yarn or whatever, but it's true. If you hear about the, the old man in the lake, this is really a valid local, uh, I won't say it's, well, I guess you could call it a legend or a landmark or a, a high point, but the old man is actually a 30 foot long mountain hemlock log about three feet in diameter and it's floating upright vertically. So about the top three or four feet of it it sticks up out of the water and the rest of it goes straight down toward facing the bottom of the lake and the first known sighting of this log was in 1896 so it's been there a long time now scientists have used some carbon dating techniques and they estimate that what's now known as the old man is probably older than 450 years now over the time of course people got curious about the blog and the old man and, and what did it do? And so they, they had a study in 1938 to try to figure out how it traveled around the lake and how far it went. And they found that between July and October that year, the old man traveled a total of 62 miles around the lake, which is an average of two thirds of a mile per day, just drifting along. But on a windy day, he can cover a lot more territory. One day he covered 3.8 miles. Just kind of drift along with the wind, and so it's probably inevitable that over time, some kind of this builds up its own series of tales and stories, and some people in superstitions. Some people say, and maybe they believe, I don't know, that the old man actually controls the weather at Crater Lake. And in 1998, the park brought in a submersible so they could try to get down into that deep water and study the lake and see what's going on, and They got to thinking about this as they were piloting around the lake that they were afraid that perhaps they would bump into the old man. He's not really conspicuous unless you're really watching for him. So they said, Well, we'll just tie him up on the eastern shore of the big island, folks up in the middle of the lake called Wizard Island. So they tied him up and that way he's safe and they're safe. And the story goes that shortly after they did that, some big storms, a whole series of storms just blew in and they couldn't launch the submersible. It was the lake was just too rough. And shortly after that, in August, they had snow. Now, they have snow, a lot of snow in Crater Lake, but they don't typically have snow there in August. And so the story is that the scientists finally decided that under cover darkness, they better turn the old man loose. So they cut him loose, and he went back to drifting around the lake. And the and the official version of the story is the weather cleared up, and things were back to normal. So you can draw your own conclusions about that, but that's one of the legends about the old man. So there's a lot of theories about how the log remains upright for all this period of time, why it doesn't fall over, why it doesn't sink. A lot of theories nobody really knows, but a lot of visitors really enjoy the potential that if they take the boat tour, they might see the old man during their trip. You can find, in fact, some some pretty cool YouTube videos about the old man. One of them runs about four minutes. It's a clip from the TV program, CBS Sunday Morning. That was found back in October. 2016. It's really very entertaining, so that'd be a fun way to have a look at the old man if you want to see him.
1: Due to the weather and part of the road being closed, we were unable to drive the full rim of the crater, but it sounded like an unforgettable experience. It did also, though, sound a bit dangerous.
3: You ask if it's safe to drive that rim drive and another interesting story about that that will hopefully reassure people that your odds of coming to difficulty and ending up in the drink if you're driving that windy road already pretty slim as long as you exercise some reasonable caution on a winding road. And so I decided I would research that topic and as best I can determine, there've only been two documented cases since the park was established over hundred years ago where cars actually went over the edge and made it all the way down to the lake. And ironically. I guess, thankfully, in both cases, there was nobody in the car when that happened. Well, no humans anyway, although in one case, it was a close call. The most recent one of those was back in September, 2010 couple came to the park. They were driving a 2003 Volkswagen Passat and they pulled in into one of the overlooks at a place called North junction and they got out of the car and they were strolling around watching the the sights and enjoying the view and all at once their vehicle just started rolling backwards and it rolled in a kind of a arc across the parking lot and uh, I guess against all odds after it rolled about a hundred feet it managed to keep around going between a narrow opening between a big rock wall and a clump of trees made it right through that opening went over the edge fell more than 1,100 feet. And it's unfortunately scattered pieces all down the scent, down the edge. And it came to rest about in the water, about 30 feet deep on the edge of the lake. There was understandably a lot of concern about that, with pollution from the gasoline and the oil and that, that kind of thing. Because the lake, one of the big features is how amazingly clear and clean all that water is. But the situation was almost a sad one for another reason, because it turned out that the occupants of the car had a dog named haley that they left in the car and so haley was on board when the car took its trip over the edge the good news is that amazingly haley was ejected through the sunroof of the vehicle as it tumbled down the slope he got out about 600 feet from the top of the rim and was really not hurt had just minor injuries took him about 15 minutes to scramble back up to the top and So all well was Haley. So that ended well from that standpoint, but the park still had a big cleanup effort. Took a helicopter and a lot of hard work with some climbers roped safely from the top and they managed to get it picked up. So in the aftermath of that, the park tries to remind visitors, if you're gonna get out of your car in an overlook, please be sure the transmission is in park and just go ahead and set the parking brake just to be on the safe side. Now I mentioned there was a second incident like this and just to prove that truth can be stranger than fiction the earlier example of a car going over the edge and ending up in the lake was way back in october 1922 so pretty long pretty long span of situations not a common thing this one went over the edge in the rim village area and that situation was really a close call because the people in the car had taken their baby out of the car shortly before the accident, because the baby started crying. Otherwise they were just going to leave it in the vehicle. So the crying saved a lot of crying later on and the baby was safe. But again, a big challenge. And in those days before helicopters, I'm sure it was really a tough time to retrieve that one from the edge of the lake. But I mentioned that sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. Here's the remarkable coincidence. The owner of that 1922 Lincoln's last name was Swanson. The last name of one of the occupants in the 2003 facade in the 2010 incident was Swanson. I don't know what the odds are of that, but I guess the joke is if your last name happens to be Swanson and you decide to visit Crater Lake, I'm sure the park staff will hope you'll be especially cautious when you're parking in Overlook and be sure you have it in park and set the parking brake.
1: While the lake itself will always be the marquee attraction here, there is, of course, plenty more to see in this 180,000 acre park. One of the things Jim was quick to point out was the presence of both ponderosa and sugar pines, gorgeous trees that were only enhanced for our visit by a thick layer of snow.
3: One of the things that I, I did enjoy doing when I was a ranger was to help people take just a minute, maybe instead of looking at the big picture, look at some of the small up close things that perhaps they wouldn't notice. And at Crater Lake, pine trees are a couple of examples of that. Most of us have seen pine trees and pine cones, but at Crater Lake, they have a species called sugar pine that are the tallest, largest species of pine trees in the world, but their cones are absolutely amazing. They're anywhere between 12 inches up to 20 inches long. They're just enormous. Bigger than a, think Think about a NBA basketball player's size of their shoes. These pine cones are bigger than a big person's shoes, So they're really very conspicuous. So if you see one That's what they are. If you're saying, man, that's really a big pine cone. It came from a sugar pine. The other thing, and the best place to see those are in the southern part of the park there at Crater Lake. And the other tree that I always enjoy talking about are ponderosa pines. They grow in places all over the Western United States. You can kind of spot them because their bark is fairly thick and furrowed. It has a kind of a yellowish, reddish color to it. The fun thing about ponderosa pines, if it's a warm, sunny day, People may think you're a little strange, but if you walk up to it and get your nose right up next to the bark and take a deep breath, if it's a ponderosa, it will smell either like, some people say cinnamon, or some people say it smells like vanilla. Really, it's really amazing. It's just a a delightful, wonderful smell. The first time we were back out west and spotted ponderosa topped and pulled off and told the kids they need to go sniff the pine tree. And they thought, Dad, it lost it. he had been on the road too long. But it really is it's, it's a fun thing to do, just kind of a little trivial thing. It's something you can teach your kids. And so ponderosa pines are fun because of their smell if you get up close and personal to them. If people want to find those at Crater Lake, at the south entrance to the park on Highway 62, just about a half mile inside the park entrance, there's a picnic area called the Ponderosa Pine Picnic Area. And you can find both ponderosa pines and sugar pines with the big cones at that one spot so if it's possible we'll back and insert that if, if that's of interest to people that might save them some frustration trying to find where they can spot some of those
1: it was especially fun for us to encounter the ponderosa pine as we had recently been in virginia city nevada where an entire ancient forest of this exact tree had been nearly wiped out to build silver mines during the silver rush of the comstock load When the local population tried to replant forests of these trees in the decades that followed, most refused to take and failed to reach maturity. Our disappointment for missing these forests in Nevada made us that much more grateful for what we found at Crater Lake. At the Ponderosa Saloon and Mine Tour, our guide suggested that the Ponderosa Pine was a tree that could only replant itself through the shedding of pine cones. I suggested this to Jim to see what he thought. Pretty specific
3: requirements probably for them to sprout is probably what the situation is. How
1: about that? Yeah, you, you
3: can find them in the right at the right elevation anywhere from southern Canada down to northern Mexico. They're kind of a specific belt elevation-wise that they prefer. They have some on the south rim of the Grand Canyon also. Kind of, kind of between the El Tavar and the shopping area there along that main road, there's some Ponderosa right off the side of the road there.
1: I asked the best time of year to visit. Our timing felt right at the time but the lodges were closed and we could have probably done with a little less snow.
3: I guess I'd say it kind of divided into two categories, whether it's a place that like Death Valley, that was too hot in the summertime or a quarter lake for maybe it's pretty snowy in the winter, but as a general rule, I would tell people most parts of the country, unless you're tied to the summertime because of the school schedule, try to avoid going during June, July, and August. And a lot of places may and September tend to be nice And I've had to qualify that answer though, a little bit in the last few years, because I'm sure if you watch the news at all, you recognize that unfortunately forest fires or wildland fires, as they call them in the jargon of the trade are becoming a seem like more of an issue almost every summer. And the smoke from the fires can travel an amazingly long distance from large fires. And so if you've gone to a place like Crater Lake where the Really, the big thing you want to see there is the view of the lake. If it's all smoked up due to a a fire, either close by or even some distance away, that is, the wind has brought a lot of smoke in, that can be a a kind of a detriment to your trip. In fact, that happened to my wife and I and one of our wellers. We had agreed to meet. We traveled for a long distance. We'd got reservations a long time ahead, so we went ahead and made the trip, but when we got there, the, you could barely see the water from the rim because of the smoke from a big forest fire a couple hundred miles away. So it's in fact gotten to be such an issue because sometimes the park there at Cradle Lake gets complaints about that. There's, they actually have a, a page on the park website that talks about about visibility and smoke, and they have a webcam where you can see what the what the visibility is like before you go. So it's not thankfully it's not a problem most of the time. But at times it does occur. And again, it's another one of those examples about having good information before you come. If if you're, particularly if you live close by and you're just going to run up there for the weekend, or if you're on a long trip and that's when your stops, but you realize, boy, it's really smoked in. We won't see anything. If you know that, perhaps you can adjust your itinerary and perhaps go back to Crater Lake another time when you can actually see the lake from the rim. So that's at least another piece of information that's worth checking on before you go. So... September is a great time to visit a lot of parks, but check and see what the smoke situation is before you go. That's just been a trend in recent years.
1: A parting word from Jim.
3: I hope people listening will have a chance to go to Crater Lake if they've not already done so, or maybe go back. If you're fortunate enough to get one of those boat tours on the lake and you happen to see the old man,
1: well, tell him I said hi. Crater Lake is the deepest lake in the United States, and the seventh deepest lake in the world. At its deepest point, it reaches 1,943 feet, which means if you stood the One World Trade Center, the bottom of it, the tip of the building would still be submerged over 150 feet deep. Because it is a volcanic crater, no rivers, streams, or springs feed Crater Lake. All of its water comes from rain and snow. The absence of the sediment and mineral deposits that these water sources carry with them is part of the reason that this lake is so incredibly clear. It is not only beautiful to look at, but it is also one of the cleanest lakes in the world. Similarly, Crater Lake has no outlets, so the only known way that the water can leave the lake is through evaporation or slow, steady seepage into the volcanic rock below. As Jim already suggested, This park is one of the snowiest places in America, averaging 43 feet of snow per year. If you like clear, clean water and breathtaking views, you'll likely love Crater Lake. Yet, as with all of our parks, Crater Lake has had its share of grumpy visitors and one-star reviews. This is Gary B. Crater Lake is a very pretty place, but on a sunny 70-degree day in October... It was very cold because of the wind. The roads are very narrow, with no guardrails, with extremely high cliffs. We won't be back. Lee T. was more interested in keeping up on his newsfeed. I am scared of heights, and there was no Wi-Fi. Sad face. Bama S. says, 30 bucks to drive around a lake is absolutely too much. I live here, pay taxes here, And you expect me to pay 30 bucks to just drive the loop around the lake. And finally, Zachary J. Zero stars. The lake is bad and should not be a national park because it is bad and has fish I'm allergic to. And it's thumbs down. Don't go ever if you can. Our last stop on this year's national park trip was the North Cascades in Washington State near the Canadian border.
0: This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant... You create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.